What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 103 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, today is one of those episodes I have been so excited to release to you. Every episode is unique. Every episode has its really, really great parts that I look forward to. This one I look forward to because I got to sit down with a friend. If you live in the Atlanta, Georgia area or in Pittsburgh, you're very familiar with his organization, Positive Athlete. I remember the day years ago that I got a phone call from a really, really good friend of mine that lived in Alpharetta, Georgia, and he said, listen, I've got a guy I just met at church you need to meet. When you guys meet, you're going to be great friends. And Donald set up the time for Scott and I to connect. I remember the first time we met at California Dreaming over on uh, Chastain and Kennesaw. And once we met, it was a friendship that began and has just grown from there. He and his family are an incredible part of our church and just absolutely phenomenal people. Scott brings an incredible background into the story. He spent over 35 years uh, of his career in marketing, high-profile events with corporations and celebrities all over the world. During his time with the Kansas City Royals, they won the World Series. He's worked with the NFL, the NBA, NASCAR, Major League Baseball. He's consulted Gatorade, Delta Airlines, but now he focuses his time, his effort, and his energy on the marketing development of his program, Positive Athlete. He and Positive Athlete have given away now over $350,000 in scholarships to high school student athletes who've overcome obstacles and found ways to give back to their communities. And what I love about it is, in a day of negativity, Scott shines positivity. And he shines the best spotlight into the area we probably hear about negative the most, and that's in the area of high school athletes. Scott is an amazing leader, but Scott has a faith that's amazing as well. Today is going to be a day of a lot of laughs. Today's probably going to shed a few tears, but I think you're really going to enjoy it. So I want you to do me a favor, and I want you to pull up a chair, and I want you to listen in to my conversation with my really good friend, Scott Peterson. Scott Peterson, it is an honor to have you on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. Thanks for joining me, buddy. Thanks, Mike. I've uh, been uh, been waiting to be asked. You know, this is such a great show, and I'm sitting there going, uh, "Wow!" I, the more you get the the good guests that you get, I'm saying, "Where does Scott Peterson fit in?" Well, it's so funny, you know. At Northstar before COVID, you know, we had these little prayer request cards that would go in the back of chairs, 
And I kept getting one that was saying, please pray that one day Scott Peterson would be on lunch with a leader. And I, I recognize the handwriting. I couldn't, I, yeah. I think it was yours. I don't know what it was. Well, some of it was mine and some of it was my family because we, it was a, <laughs> it was an entire campaign. Oh, I love it. You know, it's so funny, Scott, because I, you know, when I, when I think about people that I know and people that are doing what they were created to do, do you feel like in a lot of ways that you were created for this season that you're in in your life? You know, I, I do now. I'm not sure I thought so at the beginning. And I think that's the way most people are, is that uh, I grew up in a small town in Nebraska. And my goal in life, I love baseball. My goal in life was just to live in a town, a uh, city where there was a major league baseball team hmm. so that I could go to a game every once in a while. And, you know, my dad was always nice on the trips, always took me to different ballparks when we, you know, venture out of North Platte, Nebraska, which is literally a hundred miles from any of the closest high schools you could play. And, and so we got, to, I got to see major league baseball games. And then over that time period, I think back now in the fact that the experiences that I've had is that not only did I live in a town where there was a major league baseball team, I worked for a major league baseball team. I was in the clubhouse getting champagne poured on my head with a team that won the world series. Um, I've been able to represent athletes who play, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy, but I think, uh, you know, all along, God created a lot of those uh, opportunities for me. I didn't even realize that's what he was doing. And, uh, and that's what that's, I think that's kind of the key of my story is that, that as I look back on it, God was there every single minute of it. So if you went back to high school, Scott Peterson, and I had said, all right, Scott, you work with high school athletes. Now tell me who Scott Peterson's going to be in the next 10 to 15 years. What would a high school Scott Peterson told me? <laughs> Well, uh, that would have been a scary question. Um, I, you know, it was, it was tough. My, you know, I grew up in a, uh, in a family of attorneys. Mm. And so my expectation of myself was not necessarily to be attorney. I knew I wasn't going to be an attorney. I knew I had to go to Nebraska where the N and the helmet stood for knowledge. All right. So I, um, so I was, I was going to Nebraska and kind of hopes of figuring out how do I get involved with sports? Cause I love sports mm. so much. And that was my key was how do I take my passion and my passion with sports and my love for sports? And how do I how do I get associated with it? Because, you know, we're talking about the late 70s and early 80s. And really, the word sports marketing wasn't out there. It was it was uh, just kind of a new thing. And so uh, I looked at it as a saying, how do I how do I get involved with it and how can I be associated with sports in some way? And, and again, that would be when I was looking at it saying, man, if I could ever do that, that would be, that would be my dream. So you go to Nebraska, you get a sports marketing degree, which is amazing. That was even a degree then, you know, during yeah, that. Actually, it actually wasn't. I actually made up my degree. I got I, my first big business deal was I talked the uh, head of the journalism, physical education and business school into uh, some kind of a degree uh, at Nebraska that's, that would be a sports marketing degree. And and they all, you know, and they all bought it. And um, and so they allowed me to take any 30 hours of, uh, of those kinds of classes so I could kind of get all of these different things, uh, uh, you know, from news writing to understanding sports better to understanding business. 
and those kind of things. And everybody thought it was a great idea, but they didn't even know what to call it. I can't even remember which college I graduated out of. Um, but uh, it's not probably the you know for people who are going up and in, in, uh, wanting to hear you know well, what what's this, what great degree did you get? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really, no. I'm not over even sure I took over a sophomore level course. But the fact of the matter is, is I got all this great. Uh, information yep. and I was able to kind of take that and 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 I knew what I wanted to do. I know I know you spent a season with Jimmy Johnson, correct, at Oklahoma State. Yeah. Working in the recruiting arena at Oklahoma State and then worked with the Royals. So tell me a little bit about how those things came to be. Yeah. So my brother was Tom Osborne's recruiting coordinator at Nebraska. And so and that's the job I really wanted. So my mom said I could not whack my brother and, uh, and so I had to go find something else. And so Oklahoma State hired me in sports information. Mm. And as soon as I got there, uh, one of the first things we had was a golf tournament. And the football coach, who just happened to be Jimmy Johnson at the time, came up and said, hey, I hear your brother's Tom Osborne's recruiting coordinator. And I said, yeah, he is. And he says, well, yeah, you're mine. And so uh, that was uh, – and I had not, you know, applied for that. Uh, and I didn't know who any of the other coaches were on this staff. I'd never heard of, I hadn't even heard of Jimmy Johnson, but it was Houston nut and it was Dave Wanstead and it was Butch Davis. And it was all these people that I like, these guys are are never going to Larry Coker. These guys, are are they ever going to amount to anything in the world of coaching? And, uh, and so, uh, so I did that. But when Jimmy and crew went to university of Miami, right after that, they had said, you want to come along? And I was like, I'm still kind of bumpkin boy from Nebraska. And I don't know that me going down to Miami is going to work. Uh, and so I got an opportunity to uh, interview with Kansas City Royals. And uh, the guy who interviewed and hired me was a guy by the name of Rush Limbaugh. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, he hired me and then got fired by John Sherholtz for standing around, standing around the water cooler talking all the time, <laughs> uh, which I guess the, the guy's doing okay now. Uh, I think he's going to make it. I think I he's going to be okay. okay. So, uh, so yeah, that was, you know, but that got me into baseball and there's, like I said, that was, that was for me, a real dream to be able to work, be the, uh, becoming real quickly in life, the director of marketing for a major league baseball team at like age 24. So in these two incredible opportunities with, I mean, you named off a list of coaches that all went on to be great head coaches. Mm-hmm. What did you learn about leadership and what did you learn about people working in that office at Oklahoma state and working in that office at Kansas city as Sherholtz really put together a powerhouse and a mid market, which is very, very hard to do. What did you learn about life and leadership that Nebraska growing up in knowledge of the end on the helmet? What did you, what did you learn? You couldn't have learned any other way. Well, I think in each one of those uh, cases, like Nebraska, everybody in the athletic department kind of um, mirrored themselves after Tom Osborne. Mm. Like there was kind of a, there was a Nebraska way. And back then, and people, people that are young now don't remember Nebraska as being the powerhouse that they were. But at that time, Nebraska was on top of the football world. Oh yeah. And, and so there was a way that Tom Osborne dealt with people. Uh, He knew everybody's name. He, you know, he, he was, he was just, he was a kind man. He, you know, and, and so there was that way. And then when I got to Oklahoma state, Jimmy was, I wouldn't say he was the same way as Tom, but, but Jimmy had a confidence about him and was like, we're not going to back down. You know, we're not going to say we're number two in the state, but you know, obviously they were number two in the state to Oklahoma. Yep. 
And, uh, but Jimmy, Jimmy was such a good recruiter and such a good eye for, uh, keeping everybody positive, everybody, it was always, you are never going to talk like you're the second best team in Oklahoma. And, and then when you go to the Royals, there was that, uh, you know, there was that John Sherholtz led, um, you know, group that, that the Royals were always considered, they said the Dodgers of the American league. And here's a small market team that had a real professionalism, a real positivity around them. And you just kind of adopt into those things. So I think a lot of what I became had a lot to do with those cultures. And, yep. and, and there were always cultures that were uh, optimistic. Uh, there were always cultures that were, were positive and, and uh, you know, and never a, hey, we're, we're anything but, you know, excellent. Yeah. So as you, as you left the arena of baseball you got in i know doing some regional sports work with miller correct what all what all did you learn during that new sort of fill it fill in those gaps for me during those years yeah so i you know when i left the royals it was hard to leave the royals because here you are you know you love baseball and i'm getting to watch 82 home games a year from a little suite you know, and, uh, and I'm thinking life doesn't get much better than this. Um, but the opportunity came to say, okay, how, how would you like to do that on steroids now? And how would you like to get moved? That's what moved me to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I took on the opportunity to work for this agency that had a lot of clients in the world of sports. One of them being Miller, who was a, who was the sponsor for the NFL, for the NBA had several major league baseball teams. So my job was to fly around and go to all of the most important sporting events uh, around really the East Coast and build relationships with the NFL and build relationships with the NBA around some of the sponsorships that we did and even NASCAR and, and those kind of things. And, and so as I did that, uh, one of the things we, we were really good at with the agency was really making the sponsorship work for our sponsor. And so the NFL came to me and said, uh, hey, uh, we've got a bunch of sponsors who are wanting the same kind of relationship that your agency is providing your, sp- your sponsors. And so would you take on punt, pass, and kick? Gatorade wants a, what they called a sweaty kid promotion. <laughs> you know, So we recreated punt, pass, and kick for the NFL. And we did a variety of those kind of things. But the league started providing me, said, hey, if you start your own marketing agency, we'll start funneling you clients. And, uh, and it was simply because of a need that they had. They had wow. a need to say that we aren't built necessarily to try to do things uh, for our sponsors the way uh, that you guys are, or you're, you have the expertise in doing so. And, and I think, Mike, the other thing, too, is that I've always had this thing of never, you know, this, you know, not to, to burn bridges. But I probably went the other way in terms of saying I really tried, no matter where I went, I tried to treat people the same way. And I tried to keep people with a lot of uh, uh, no matter who you were, because I always say you never know who you're going to be, who you're going to meet. You don't know who you're talking to. As a matter of fact, I recruited a kid at Oklahoma State uh, to to uh, to throw the javelin. All right. And and was nice to the kid. And, and we actually just needed one javelin thrower because there were eight teams in the big eight at that time. And the coach said, if you can find a guy to throw it <laughs> here to the wall, then we'll get a point. And so I reached out to a kid and got this kid named Garth Brooks to come throw you know, the javelin at, at Oklahoma State. 
and but I, you know, I tell that story is that every along the way, he's like, I didn't know who Rush Limbaugh was going to be. I didn't know That's who right. Garth Brooks. But as I as I've gone on in life, and and those kind of people would I think would remember me. And uh, I know Rush would because I've talked to him every once in a while. But I just but the fact of the matter is is treating people that way really created a situation in which a lot of uh, businesses, a lot you know the NFL and the NBA started giving me giving me opportunities because they liked working with me. What caused you to do that? What What was the driver in you? Was it what you just learned at Nebraska from Tom Osborne and Jimmy Johnson, or was there something else going on behind the scenes that you said, this helped me be able to deal with people that way? What would you say? I, you know, I think it's, it's always the way it's got, it's the way God made me. Mm. Okay. So I, I don't know that I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know that I learned it along the way. I think I watched different people and how they dealt with people. And so I said, that's the way I'd want to be treated. So that's that uh, I'm going to, I'm going to incorporate that into mine. But I would tell you that all through that time period, up to the point at which I've talked to you, you know, I was not, I was a, I was a Presbyterian, <laughs> but I was not a Christian. You know, and I, and so I, you know, when, and so I didn't, I'd like to say that I had my faith uh, behind all of that and this, this relationship with God that, that I'd be able to uh, kind of draw on, but really I didn't, but, but, but God was hounding me the whole time and kind of saying, I'm going to let you do all these fun things. I'm going to let you experience the most amazing. You're going to go to the Super Bowl, you know, 12 times and you're going to stand behind the batters, you know, guys taking batting practice during the all-star game. And you're going to do all of these fun things. But at some point he had a plan for me. And, and I think that that's one of the things I kind of look back on and say, you know, all along, you know, he was, he was creating something for me to be able to do what I was going to do next. You, you know, I, in one of the books that I was reading and I, and I do believe it in experiencing God, he said that everybody reaches a crisis of belief you know, here's Scott Peterson, the Presbyterian. I know about God and I am religious. And then there's a piece of where God wants you to be. What was your crisis of belief and what helped you turn that corner in your spiritual journey? I would say that uh, when I met my wife, uh, Julie, uh, Julie uh, was a Christian and Julie started taking me to church. And, and, uh, um, and I, you know, probably did that because how much I loved her and, you know, and I wanted, I, it was important to her. And, you know, when I started, uh, when I started going to church, I started realizing, or it started hitting to me that, that, uh, I held a lot of things as saying, well, you know, I need to be forgiven for a whole bunch of things. And I don't necessarily want anybody to know all of those things I need to be forgiven for. But I can't imagine that there's a God out there that would forgive me for just kind of how I've acted for the first 25 years of my life. And and I think that's what kind of hit it, Mike, was that, is that uh, I, I realized, you know, I already was kind of into my career and was like, okay, now, if I if I change who I am, if I change and go to this kind of a, a faith based approach to my life, how is everybody that I've ever done? I've had all the success with everything. How do I how do I deal with those people? And how are those people going to look to me now and say, oh, Scott went off the deep end and now he's like now he's a Christian, you know? Yeah. And I, and I think that a lot of people struggle with that, that are that are kind of going up through business and they have success. And they're like, well, how is this going to cramp my business style? Mm. You know, and and I think that so to answer your question, it was really that point in which I started looking at that and saying, okay, I can be forgiven. 
you know, I need to go forward and have this in my mind to have God, you know, kind of dictate where I go. But it wasn't until I don't know that it was a crisis as much as it was a man, dude, you have had so many great experiences and I created all of them for mm. you. Okay. Mm. And so just now what I want you to do is take those and do something with them. So you, you keep growing in your career and you, and you noted that, and I know you become for many years, the CEO and president of leader enterprises, right? In some ways were there days you sat down and went, okay, this is it for me. This is, this is it. Or was there even an unsettledness during that time that you went, I'm enjoying what I do, but I wonder if this is everything. Tell me a little bit about those years. Cause I didn't know Scott then. Right. I didn't know I didn't know you. What were those years like at Leader? Yeah, they were uh, they were great in the sense of the kind of fun things we were doing, and 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 uh, you know we we were involved with Live Strong and and the the PR and marketing around that. We were representing athletes, and and one of the things I think you find though as uh, as a leader, or if you're built the way I'm built, is you love doing stuff. Okay, you love coming up with creative ideas. I feel like a very creative guy, um, and uh, you know, and and so what happens sometimes when leadership is that all of a sudden you become the guy that everybody comes into your office and tells you what a great time they're having doing all the stuff that you'd like to be doing, and you're yeah. sitting there. Okay, this I, I really you got a job because I'd really like to come work for you guys. Yeah, I'm, that I'm employing, and and I think what happened to me was that 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 was that was deep down that was bothering me. And, and I was, but, but at the same time, I was making good money. And that is hard. That's a hard thing for some people to say, how do I, but how do I walk away from that? You know, I'm making good money. I really don't, I don't have that hard a job because I'm just, I'm managing people and I'm watching them do cool stuff and, and giving my two cents and everything, but I'm not doing it. I'm not, I love, I love being in the middle of it. And so I was kind of miserable, Mike, I, you know, I was, uh, uh, you know, and, and I think that that's what kind of drove me to make some different decisions about what I wanted to do. Was it hard to step away? Was that when you made that decision to step away, was that something that you, you had to fight your way into, or was it something you go, I'm just ready for what's next? I would say that I fought it uh, to the point where God made it so that it mm. was, you were going, I was going to have to move. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd like to sit here and say, I had this great epiphany that I'm just going to go do everything for God now. And, and uh, no, he had to make it really miserable for me. You know, he had to allow some things to happen. And, uh, and it got to the point where it was like, it was, it was over, you know, I, I, I couldn't do it anymore. And, uh, and then I, you know, I quickly looked at it and I said, well, he must really want me to do something different. You know, <laughs> if he's going to make it this miserable for me and he knows that by myself, I don't know if I'm capable of making this decision to, to leave all of that you know, and go try something different. Was it, was the, was, cause I know your connection with Heinz, who's one of your spokesmen for a uh, positive athlete. I know that connection was made during that time. When did the idea and passion for positive athlete, when did it begin to really stir in you and feet started getting put on it? 
Well, it actually started when I was with Leader and, and this idea of, I, I had this feeling of, you know, I'm tired of all of the, I'm a very positive person. I'm tired of all the negative news. Not like it's changed since. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, we still got a lot of negative news going on. I didn't solve it. But um, but it's, the thing about it is, is it started resonating with me. And, and even during Live Strong, I heard athletes talking about one of the reasons Live Strong worked, and people don't know this, it was a Nike-led project. And at first, it wasn't going well. And the reason was because nobody knew who Lance Armstrong was because nobody followed cycling. You know, apologies to all the cycling fans listening to this. Yeah. All right. But what we did was we said, hey, can you send this yellow wristband out to all of the athletes who represent Nike and have them tell a positive story about somebody in their life who either survived cancer or didn't survive cancer? And the response back from the athletes was like, wow, somebody wants to tell a positive story. And we're tired of all of the negative dog fighting yeah. stories and, and, and those kinds of things and the athletes being in the, in the pages for the wrong reasons. So I had this desire to do this, but I could not convince my other partners in business that this was a way to go. And so I was dangerously close to kind of giving that up, but that's where, that's where I feel like God was kind of pushing to say, no, 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 you know, this is, this is something I'm giving you here. You need to go do it. And, and so right after I left, I knew that, okay, well, I've got to kind of go follow up with some of those people who made those comments. And one of them was uh, a conversation I'd had with, uh, with Andy Ree, who is uh, Heinz Ward's agent about this. And he said, well, I'll bet you Heinz would like to, be involved with something like this because that's what he wants his legacy to be. He, you know, there's a lot of heads on plaques as I call them up in Pittsburgh, you know? And so, you know, are you go where are you, where's your head going to fit between Terry Bradshaw, Franco Harris, me, so green and all. And, and, and Heinz was really the most popular player, but what he wanted people to remember him for was what he did in the community and what he'd given back growing up as a biracial kid over in Korea uh, and being bullied over there. And then coming to Forest Park, Georgia and saying, hey, thanks for the upgrade, mom. The white kids don't know what I am. The black kids don't know what I am. And the Korean kids pretty much treating me like the Korean kids did over there. So it took a lot for him to kind of go up through the high school ranks and up into the pros, obviously great career at Georgia. And then, you know, Super Bowl MVP. And he went back over to Korea and said, well, I got on national television with the president of Korea and said, Look what a biracial kid can do hmm. and change culture over there. And so that was kind of the, the aha moment for me is that this is the kind of person, this is the kind of story that needs to be told. And his story really even kind of started in high school as to where he had to make his change in terms of his, his, of his positive attitude, because he could have gone in a lot of different directions. And so when we first started talking about positive athlete, it was that, hey, about, how about those kids that are trying? How about those kids yep. that the, all of the sports awards are about or for kids who that 2% of the kids who can run the fastest and jump the highest and score the most points. And there's 100% of the kids, though, that are out there who ha have an opportunity to be tell their story about, well, what makes you tick? Yeah. What have you done for your community? What have you overcome? And that's what we set to kind of find out uh, with positive athlete. So you make a decision to leave something very secure, very uh, comfortable to begin this new endeavor that God is laying on your heart and, and opportunities laying on your heart. And you would assume, right, if 
if all this was easy, that you just jump right in and you go national and money's coming in from everywhere and you're a positive athlete and you are all these things and it all works out super easy and great. But is that sort of the story of positive athlete? Have there been some not positive times as you've been on this journey? Well, if we had a third screen in here and Mrs. Peterson was on this call <laughs> with us, she would uh, she would be the first to pipe in and say, no, it wasn't. Um, and it, it wasn't from the standpoint of people being interested in what we were doing. The hard part was that it was, I realized it was going to take a lot longer to get this thing financially going because you're talking about something new and, and, uh, and people kind of need proof of concept and things like that. So as you know, I thought this was going to be, okay, God wants me to do this thing. He's made it. And now it's going to be, you know, you just like you have all my life, you set things in front of me. Yep. And this was a lot harder work. And this was, this put a real financial strain on our family. Um, and, you know, we ended up selling our house. We ended up uh, digging into savings and, and things. And it got really rough for a while, Mike, um, until we could get, get to the point where this thing, it really caught on. But I think the learn, the thing I learned in that was that, that God gives you a lot, God gave me a lot of resources. And I'm not so sure that when I, when life was going well, that I, that I really appreciated, um, not that I didn't tithe, but I probably didn't understand and appreciate money the way mm -hmm. I should have. And what it, you know, that comfortability of money and, and I think sometimes you have to be, I've been driven to a different point where I, now that that doesn't mean as much to me. You know, I want this to survive and keep going. And now it's starting to flourish and everything. But I had to have that lesson taught to me. And I didn't want that lesson. Nobody wants that lesson. Yeah, yeah. But it was a lesson that had to be looked at and it changed the way uh, I have done our finances I, and, and, and the way Julie has done her, you know, with, with our family. Um, and it was a great lesson for our kids because they saw dad on top and then they saw dad have to struggle. And they kind of like, well, we've never seen dad struggle before. Mm. How does, how do, how does dad look when this, when he takes on something like this and we're not getting to go to all the games we used to go to and meet all the important people that we get, yeah. to, you know, got to do. And so those kinds of things I think are, but that really, I think it has, has fortified what I, who I am today, what my, what this this project of positive athlete is because because I did struggle and I'm and I'm and I'm thankful for the fact that I struggled. I I didn't think I was at the time. It's really hard, but this but I kept thinking back on the fact that you know God's had got me going through this and He must really really love me because He's He's making this difficult. He's not He's just not allowing this to be easy. What kept, what kept you, and I love some of your traits, a positive athlete, optimistic, put team first, encouraging, respectful, admit imperfections, the heart for others, embrace service. What, what kept you positive when things weren't positive? What kept you to where, oh, okay, I'm selling a product of positive athlete to superintendents, to state school uh, um, uh, folks with athletics, all these people, business owners, what kept you positive when everything at times wasn't coming together? The funding wasn't hitting like you wanted. What kept you positive? 
Well, you know, those things you just mentioned were something that we put into what we call, how do you operate? Yep. And we, and it's an acrostic, which is that, you know, spelling those words down, the O-P-E-R-A-T-E. And, and the things you mentioned is that I had to really, if, if, if that's what we were expecting of kids and the kind of kid, then, then I had to live that myself. You know, and I've always had an optimistic attitude. You've always, ever since yep. you've met me, you know, that I always believe that things are going to happen and, and, and believe that they can. Um, I think that, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, I, I knew that I had to, 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 for things to go well, you have to kind of put yourself out there in terms of encouraging others and having a true heart for others. Mm-hmm. I, I always say that, you know, many times when, when things were struggling, God always kind of came back to me and said, Hey, okay, stop thinking about yourself for a minute mm. and, and reach out to somebody else who has cannot benefit you and see how they're doing and pray for them or tell them you're praying for them and those kinds of things. And I'm telling you that, that whole idea is, is real. I, I mean, we, that I, I can't, every time that I, I felt like things were bad, I tried to think of somebody else who had it worse somebody else that I could be reaching out to. And I think that's what a problem for most business people is, is it, you know, that this, this having a true heart for others is, 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 can be a posing type of thing. People are posers. A lot of people are posers in terms of, do I really care about other people or am I, am I reaching out somebody and telling them pray for them so that maybe uh, they're, you know, they're hard to get a hold of. So I'll say that. You know, and I and I think that that's what uh, people have always kind of known about me is that when I ask you how you're doing, when I ask you, tell you I'm praying for you, I'm really truly praying for you, and I think people believe that, and and that has always been probably Mike the most important thing that I've had in terms of the minute things went bad for me, I tried to say God, who else has it worse? Who else can I be praying for? And I'm telling you, you know, the other thing too is that. Every time I decided I knew a little bit more about sports marketing than God did, mm-hmm. um, he'd say, okay, take the wheel. I'll let you, I'll let you drive. And then I, you know, and then I drive it into the ditch and then he'd so pull good. me out, you know, but I, so I think those kinds of things are Mike are the, the important things in my life that, that, that have made, have made anything I've gone through always come back to what I believe is a positive result. So in the middle of this, your faith, you've got this faith now that you're walking that that is beginning to grow. What did your faith do to sustain you? So here you are in this new endeavor and and you're looking at money differently and you're handling things differently. What grew about your faith during this season that probably wouldn't have grown the same way if you were doing something else and weren't so dependent on the Lord? What grew what grew in you, Scott? I think recognizing when God was at work, mm-hmm. maybe opening my eyes a little bit more to, you know, when you when you have some of the success that I had early in life and 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 many things that I that I felt like I touched, you know, there's this tendency to think you're the one doing it, yeah. you know, yeah. and there's this tendency to and and I I had this uh, I had to have be a lot more self aware uh, in terms of. A, what is me and what, you know, what is, what are the gifts God's given me and what are the things that he is, he's orchestrating around you. Mm. And, and I always look at it is that every day God is orchestrating something around you and it's always good. 
Okay. It may not look like good that one day when a sponsor turns you down or says, I can't do this. It may not look like good when COVID-19 comes around, but God is always working. And I, every day I kind of go into this whole thing. It's like, Hey, your will is going to be done today. And I gotta, I've got to follow it. And I've got to expect that whatever you're doing is good, whether it looks like good or not. Mm. That's so good. You know, and I I want to get into positive athlete here in a second, but you had a moment here in the past year, two years that you got to spend some time with your dad. That was pretty powerful. And, you know, you, you wonder, okay, God, why have you done all these things in my life? And then you go, maybe it was for this time and this moment. Do you mind sharing that a little bit about what you, what you got to experience with your dad there at the end? Yeah, absolutely. Well, as I mentioned, you know, I grew up a family of attorneys, so he's a very bright guy. Um, and, um, and he you know, grew up Presbyterian and things And we just didn't talk about faith. You know, I think that that's, uh, uh, it was, it was between 11 and 12 central time, uh, in Nebraska. And then, and if the, and if the, uh, the pastor went over 12 o'clock, then, uh, you were bleeding into NFL football time. <laughs> and so it was one of those things to where as, uh, you know, it was just, but in the family, it was just not talked about. Yeah. And, um, and so every time I try to bring it up, it was, it was kind of a shutdown. All right. And like, well, my dad was very cerebral and, and, and so hard for him to understand. And, and first of all, he didn't understand what the heck I did in life. He, you know, right. he was, he understood attorney. <laughs> he didn't understand do what now. <laughs> and, uh, and I like, I think a lot of people wonder that too, my wife included. Yeah. <laughs> so I, so anyway, so my, uh, so I had an opportunity my dad, uh, wound down in life. Um, uh, he, uh, you know, he was, he was 90 years old and, and doing great. We had his 90th birthday and everything. And then I got a call from him one day and he said, Hey, I just got back to the doctor's office and I've got about a month to live. And I had always kind of felt like, okay. And I'd been praying to be able to have a conversation with him because I needed to know where he stood in life, you know, with, with, with his relationship with the Lord. And I kind of knew what it was, but I, but I didn't know. All right. And so uh, I had to get up to Nebraska and and I was going to have that conversation. And I knew it was, you know, and I think I called you, too. And I said, hey, Mike, you know, what do I do? The clock is ticking now, really. You know, it's like when when you're dealing with people that you want to have know the Lord, it's it's really hard to uh, to fathom that I'll always have that time. Or there'll be that, you know, now the clock was on. It was like when I always say when, when MacGyver accidentally clicks the wrong, you know, <laughs> snips the wrong wire, then now all of a it makes the clock go faster. And so I flew there and sat down with him. And and it was tough because his wife was not overly, his new wife, that, that uh, who I love, um, and she was not a spiritual person. As a matter of fact, probably on the other side of things. And, uh, and so I, you know, I so there was not a window. And I knew when we sat down to pray one night for, for grace, you know, having dinner, um, and probably one of the last dinners I had with him. And I got this, can I pray for, you know, can I say grace? And I kind of got this look like, Oh, we're going to do this, you know? And so I was like, when am I going to have a window? Yeah. And so somehow God created a window of time, uh, in that time that I had left to go there and visit with him for the last time. And, we had just had a great conversation. And my, my question to him was, where do you think you're going? 
you know, cause it's, it's, it's a hard question to ask if everybody's feeling well, right. Yeah. It's like, but now he was in the right in his face was, so where are you going? Where do you think you're going, dad? And he goes, I don't know. Mm. And it was the perfect opportunity for me to say, well, let's talk about this then. Cause I think I have an answer for you. And uh, you've been giving me great answers all my life and on different things. So let me give you, you know, and so we talked about that and he, and his, his response was, I think I've been good enough. Like, you know, like I hit, you know, I said, okay, so I haven't seen my tote board to see whether I'm 51% or 49% good to get in heaven, dad. But the fact of the matter is, is that's not what it's about, you know? And so we had this conversation and I just had an hour, but the end, within that hour, he accepted the Lord and, and, uh, you know, and the amount of relief that I had from that, like I said, that buzzer beater, as I call it, was was uh, well, one of the most important things that in my life that I feel like I've ever experienced. Man, that's I remember getting your text pre and your text post, your text pre, man, pray and your text post. You're not going to believe this, but, you know. People, you 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 start comparing all the things in life, and we go, well, we know faith's the most important thing, but but we don't always live that way until mm-hmm. you get down near the buzzer, and right. then all of a sudden, faith is the trump card. It is everything for us. Um, man, that was that was one of my favorite moments getting that text that day, and well, hearing one that of my story. favorite. And you know, and I that's why I try to tell people this is like. You know, you, they're praying for people all along and they kind of say, is this going to happen? I just don't see a way. And, you know, when God's involved, there's always a way. That's and right. I, like I said, this was literally, though, down to the last second. But it was the last second. As long as there's time on the clock, um, there's always a way. I love that. Man, I love that. So now here we have this concept of positive athlete that I remember the very first time I sat and heard about it, we got connected by a good friend of mine and, and, and I began to hear about it and, and got to be involved in it a tad bit there at the beginning. Um, now you guys have awarded over 40,000 worth of scholarships. You are in six 400,000. 400,000 $400,000 in scholarship. I had the N on my helmet. I didn't read very well. 400,000 and you've got a book published. You've been on CNN. Now you're doing positive athlete stories with Harold Reynolds and John Smoltz and, and just amazing, amazing athletes. What's the most gratifying part of this now that it's beginning to churn and I know you get to work with your son which I know you enjoy so much working with Ryan and watching him flourish what what is the part you're enjoying about positive athlete the most right now um you know the when we started doing this video cast uh, we call it lessons in positivity and we've had all of these different uh, these different professional athletes on, and they're all great names I mean and and I think one of the gratifying parts is the way those names, the way those people came to me mm. and that is through people and relationships I've had all over the years who somebody said, Hey, I, you're doing it. So I'll get this person on for you. That's good. And, and so, uh, that's really gratifying, Mike, you know, when somebody will say, Hey, because you're, because it's you, because I believe in what you are and who you are that, uh, that, and, and so then the gratifying part has been, listening to people's stories, reading these kids. When we did this book, 
uh, it was hard to pick the hundred best stories of kids we heard because kids are going through a lot of stuff yep. uh, in high school. They've got secrets that they're telling about their mental health, uh, about uh, their eating disorders, and and they're also doing amazing things. And so our whole, you know, the gratifying part was seeing all that kind of come to life and hearing and being able to share those stories with other people because I know. Um, you know, um, we, Kevin Scott had, did kind of turned me on the fresh to the new ROI is return on inspiration. Mm. And the That's idea good. that, that, uh, all of these kids stories are there in this book of a hundred stories, there may be one story in there that is for one kid in America. That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, and it could be like, I never thought of that. You know, I'm a softball player and all I ever do is play softball, softball in the fall, softball in the spring and in the summer. Yep. And this girl from Macon comes up with this idea. So I'm going to get people to give me a dollar for every strikeout I, you know, that I do, um, you know, against the opposing hitters and stuff like that. And she raises $35,000 for the Macon Food Bank. And kids hear those stories. And now kids are going, well, I could do something like that. I'm a wrestler. I could go for every wrestling match I win. We had actually had a kid in Pittsburgh heard the story, went out and raised ten thousand dollars for autism research based upon winning matches. And I think that's the gratifying thing is that the stories that we're uncovering and the and the stories that we're telling are making a major impact right. on people. It's you know we yes we did give the we've given over four hundred thousand dollars in scholarships to kids. And that's great, but we don't know. And, and I, I got a feeling God will take me into a room um, where He's going to show me all the videos of the things that happened. The kids who saw, that's right. or heard one of the things we did, uh, read the book, read a story in that book, and changed lives. And, and I think that's what we all should be doing: is that how are we taking what we're doing and creating it into an opportunity for multiple people to experience to experience something that God has planned for them. You know, it's so easy, Scott, you and I are about the same age, and it's so easy to get our age and, and look and go, man, there's nothing good going on with this generation. All we see is kids don't pull their pants up and kids yeah. listen to music I don't like and blah, 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 all that stuff. And what I love is you've, saw, you've said, no, there is as much good or more now than there's pro there, kids. are, And I'll say this because I'm around kids every day like you are. Kids are better now than when I was a kid. Yeah, they're more thoughtful. We didn't ever think about other people ever unless it was a club trip and a good looking girl was going and we're like, oh, y'all sign up and get on that. Other than that, this generation's much more wired to serve than our generation was. What I what I love about what you've done is you've you've highlighted these kids and you're causing others to want to be like them. And that is the secret sauce of positive athlete is you are now not only exposing the positivity, you're, you're encouraging others. Hey, it's cool to be positive and right. it's good to be positive. That's a, that's huge. That is huge. Well, we, we, you know, we set out when I first talked to Heinz Ward about this was the idea was to change the culture and, and, and just in terms of how kids are awarded for being involved in sports and so you had this 2% of the kids who win all of those awards, right? And we, and the day that you always hear about it is usually the day when they're all putting on different hats saying they're going to different schools to play football. And that's kind of the, where the, those awards. So we wanted to create something is how do you create a day that is like one of the most important days in sports that 
that 30 kids, all for all boys and girls from different sports are being awarded for who they are, you know, what they've overcome, what they've done to give back to their schools and communities. And, and just that, that infectious positive attitude, the coach would say, you know, if I had, if I had 10 of these kids, yep, that's oh, right. We'd never lose a game. And, and I think that that is, and, and you know what companies have started to really recognize and understand that too, because they're saying that's who we are. That's who we want to be as a company. You know, that is, that is, that is who we'd like people to perceive us to be is, is optimistic and, yep. and putting our customers first and, and being respectful and, and, and those kinds of things. Those, those, there's a connection there to that we hope kind of drives up into the corporate world to say, you know, is that, isn't that way, the way we should be operating too? And these kids, what we've always said about for the kids, it's for them. We're not, we have, there's no, you don't have to, you don't have to purchase anything to, uh, to be a positive athlete. You just have to have an adult nominate you. And we've had experiences like the Braves gave, give, well, not this year, but, but in, in, in the past have given every single kid, 5,400 kids free, two free tickets to a Braves game just for being nominated for positive athlete. And this year we were talking to the Falcons about leading the team. There was going to be a football player, a positive athlete, football player leading to the Everybody kind of loves this idea of those kids that are that you want to encourage that behavior. That's right. Those are the kids you want to hire as a company and say, why don't I? Why wouldn't I want a high character kid who understands teamwork? Yep. Who understands leadership, and that's how I want to build my company. You know, and, and it's that. I know John Gordon wrote a book called "The Positive Dog." We're either going to feed the negative dog or feed the positive dog. And what I love about it, you're feeding the positive. So I know Scott. We talked about a little bit before we went on air. We've got people literally all across the country, from Virginia to Ontario to I mean everywhere in pockets in sports. Um, if they want to learn more about, okay, I know you're in six states right now and we'll have links to your website and all that kind of stuff. If they're going, all right, this needs to happen in blah, this state that you are not currently in, what steps do they need to go through to reach out to you to get more information? What would you say? Well, um, you know, this year is going to be the first year that we're for 2021, we're going to have Nash take national nominations. So even though we've had scholarship programs in six states, and primarily that's been because of Delta Airlines putting us all their hubs, is that we're going to open up this to the to to the nation. Right. And so any kid, if you've got a high school kid that uh, that or know of a high school kid that needs to be nominated, just to be said, you know, they may not have a crazy story, you know, or, or something like amazing. And they may. But the fact of the matter is, is this is, we always call them love letters. This is a, Hey kid, I love what you're doing. I love who you are. I want to encourage you. And it's not an application. It's just go on the website, positiveathlete.org, find the national section. If you're not in one of our six States that we have, you know, scholarship programs and nominate the kid for a positive athlete and tell, just tell us about it. It can be five sentences and it can be war and peace. We, We love getting the, hearing about them and uh and learning more about them because that's we want to create this database of of kids that companies can tap into yep. 
and, and anybody else that wants to help these kids. The other thing too, is, you know, I, I, my email address is Scott underscore Peterson. And the D is with a D. I'm not that guy out in California that murdered his wife, um, that people hear here, Scott Peterson. And that's, so it's Scott underscore Pedersen. If I have to do it that way at celebrate positive.com. Oh, that's so good. Oh, you make me laugh. Um, you know, when, when all this gets said and done, how do you want people to remember Scott Peterson? What, what's the, what's the legacy you want to leave for the P E D E R S O N Scott Peterson? What's what, what would you say is the legacy you want to leave? How do you want people, your family, the people that knew you best, how do you want to be remembered? You know, I, uh, I always joke about this. I talk way too much about my funeral to my family. Um, and, and I, and I always say, I want it to be full of laughter. Mm-hmm. I want people to remember the time Scott did this or said this or, or, you know, and I want to be, I want to be known as somebody who you could tell truly had a heart for others yeah. who really loved other people. And, and it didn't matter whether they were a corporate chairperson or, or there was somebody that hit a, did a job that was, was not that important. I feel as equally attracted to having a conversation with, with, with either. And, yeah. and I think that's the legacy I want is that, is that, man, Scott never knew a stranger. Scott never, uh, I always felt like he, when he, you know, one thing that Jesus taught me, you know, in terms of his stories where whoever was in front of Jesus was the most important person, you know, in the world. And I've always kind of said, if I'm out on a walk, I try to have people experience me in a way that's positive, whether it's a smile or whether, you know, because I think that's that, and that's how I want, that's how I want to be remembered. Not necessarily for positive athlete or man, this guy got a world series ring. You know, it was, you know, it's more about who was he, you know, and how did he treat people? I told you, you would enjoy that conversation with Scott. What a bright light Scott Peterson is. You know, it would have been so easy for Scott to sit around and go, you know, we ought to focus more on the positive things and we ought to we ought to accentuate those things that everybody else looks past. But you know what Scott did? He did something about it. And that's what leaders do when there's a hole, when there's a gap and there's a tap on their shoulder. They leverage all their resources. They buy all in. They burn the burn the boats And they dive in. And that's what Scott did. And he is making a difference in thousands and thousands of athletes' lives all over the country. Scott Peterson is not only a difference maker. Scott Peterson is a difference maker for me. I always enjoy my time with Scott. And I'm glad I got to introduce him a little bit to you. I hope you'll follow up, follow Positive Athlete. If you're listening from another part of the country and you're like, man, we need something like that. Boy, I challenge you to go to the show notes and reach out to Scott and his team uh, at the organization. He and Ryan will get right back to you. And I know they would love to tell you more about what they're doing and how they can be involved in your state with your programs. Man, that was good. Well, on our next episode, we get to sit down with a legend. She's a legend in the world of softball. And not only is she a legend now in coaching, where she is the head coach at Liberty University of the softball program, but Dot Dot Richardson is an Olympic legend. You look her up. Before we get together next time, do a little search on Dot Richardson 
read her accolades, and then you'll get to sit down and hear her story. And it is a good one. If you've enjoyed this episode today, make sure and go to iTunes. Please leave a review, a rating. Boy, it helps other people find their way to us. Share these episodes when you enjoy them. It means the world to me, and hopefully it will mean the world in leadership to somebody that you know. Thanks again for listening in today, and go be the leader that you were created to be in the space and the place that God has put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.